today, uh, if, you, if, if you're like, oh man, I wish I would caught the, the, the conference or, or more of it or caught it at all, okay, here's a blessing. You, you're going to hear the best part of it. The keynote speaker was Marathi Wanjai, and he is with us here today, and he was the keynote speaker for it. And you can read about him and his wife, Carol, uh, there in your program, but I'm telling you, the, the main thing I could say about Marathi is he is a global leader of the worldwide church. He is just absolutely one of those leaders in the world today, and we have the honor and the privilege to have him here at, at Purpose Church. He's the one that started Rooted. How many of you are either going through or have completed Rooted? Let me, let me see your hands. 1,200 people from our church have gone through Rooted. Uh, thousands, I think it's 100,000 around the world in multiple countries and multiple languages have gone through Rooted. Now, he and Carol have a local connection because uh, Pastor Marathi, he went to Fuller Seminary. And, um, and we have many graduates of Fuller on our staff. And uh, they've just had a huge impact in our area. And many of you, we have a professor, Dr. Bradley uh, from Fuller here at our church. And so uh, Marathi went to Fuller Seminary. And then his wife, Carol, got a master's not only at Fuller Seminary, but also at Azusa Pacific University. And we have many staff and students and alumni uh, from APU as well. And sometimes we just kind of take for granted uh, what great schools APU and Fuller are because they're in our own backyard. But they have an absolutely global impact. Fuller Seminary and Azusa Pacific have a global impact all around the world. And uh, they were some of the ones that were sent out after being trained in those schools uh, to change their world for Christ. And then there's a local connection. Because come to find out, Pastor Greg didn't find this out until he went to Kenya. And they're talking there, and he says, well, you know, I was in Pomona for years. I'm like, what? Well, Pastor Marathi, while he was a student at Fuller Seminary, he planted a church of young Kenyans right here in Pomona. And so he had a Kenyan church here in Pomona, so he has been a pastor from Pomona as well. So you can read about the other things uh, there about him. But I tell you, I always say as a church, we get, we get what we honor. And we want to make sure we honor the right things here. And so I tell you what, as he comes to speak to us now, could we give a Purpose Church standing ovation to a leader in the global church today? Let's stand up and let's let him know that we love him, we support him, we're honored to have him here, and we absolutely praise God for how he has used uh, used it. Good deal. God bless you. Amen. Please, please remain standing and let's honor the King of Kings. Father, we thank you because all glory goes to you. You're such an amazing God. And what a joy for me to worship and my wife to worship with our brothers and sisters from across the world and to participate in what your Holy Spirit is doing in this place. So we glorify you, Lord, in our hearts are expectant. Give us expectant hearts to hear what you have to say to us this morning. For we ask this in Jesus' mighty name and God's people said, amen. amen, amen. To God be the glory. Well, I'm so excited to be here and uh, it's my first time, it's our first time to Purpose Church. Uh, we loved your church when we heard the name. 
Because we, if we, I always thought, how did you get that? If we, if we had the name first, we'd have gotten it before you got it. Uh, it's such a great name. We speak about purpose in our church. We believe every believer is called to a unique God-given purpose. And so I just love that name. And then come to find out when I came, when we came, that we love the pastors here. We've enjoyed the community we have, the connections we have. And I just feel like God is going to do some great things in our relationship together. Uh, I want to bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters from across the world. Uh, they look different from you, but they worship the same Jesus. And if you're, if you're among them, you probably would experience what I've just experienced among you. That my goodness, I forgot where I was, and I just lifted my hands and I worshiped God like I was right at home. And so I want to bring you their greetings, and because I'm an African preacher, I always bring the greetings physically, so you need to receive the greetings physically as well. Uh, do you receive the greetings from Avuno Church? Amen, amen. And shall I take back your greetings when I go back to my church back home? Amen. All right, I'll be sure to tell them that their brothers and sisters send them greetings as well. I'm here with my wife, Carol. Uh, we've been married 23 years, going, to, going on 24 next year. And uh, she's my, she, we work together on the staff team, and we have three uh, amazing teenagers who keep us awake and keep us humble. And so, <laughs> so Carol, if you just stand and wave as well. Thank you so much. Amen. Well, I am just so excited to be here, and today I, as I prayed about what to share about, I thought I'd begin by sharing the story of how Rooted began, or how Mizizi began, because the word Mizizi means Rooted, it's a Swahili word, and that's, so can I share how the story, how that came about? Uh, and for me, it was, it really happened out of frustration. Um, I was the pastor for discipleship uh, in a large church in Nairobi, and at that point, um, the, the definition that we had of discipleship is when people give their lives to Jesus or make a commitment to follow Jesus or, 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 or want to grow deeper in their faith, that there would be a course that would give them some instruction and help them learn how to become disciples. So I was the one responsible for helping people go through that course. And at some point, I just got really frustrated because I felt it wasn't working. It wasn't doing what it promised to do. I felt like what I was doing was teaching people how to act like a Christian, so, so, you know, Christians act a certain way. Do you know that? Uh, and, and, and Christians talk a certain way. So I was teaching people how to talk like a Christian. Now, my wife, I grew up in a Christian family. My parents, my dad's, I'm a PK. My dad's a pastor as well. So I thought everybody speaks like Christians. And then I got married to a woman whose parents did not go to church. She did not grow up in church. And she taught me that Christians talk funny. <laughs> I mean, they say the same language. They speak the same language in terms of words, but they sound really different from everybody else. And I was teaching people how to act like a Christian, how to talk like a Christian, how to pray like a Christian, but I wasn't teaching them how to be Jesus and to have, to have, to have, the, how to have the same impact that Jesus had. I wasn't teaching them how to change. In fact, what I was teaching them wasn't changing their deeper motives about why they were running their business or why they were making the career decisions they were making. It wasn't getting to the core of how they saw money and how they dealt with issues of insecurity and, and competition and peer pressure. It wasn't changing how they dealt with the deeper issues of shame and conflict. It wasn't even changing how they drove on the freeway when they didn't think there were other Christians watching them. <laughs> and, and, you know, I looked at that and I thought, I, something in me just did not resonate with that. And I couldn't do it anymore. And so eventually I just stopped. I, I, I just stopped. And I'm the kind of person I can't do something I don't believe in. I, I just stopped. Unfortunately, I needed my job, so I didn't quit my job. And, but what I told the, the, the person I was working with, I had an intern working with me, I said, listen, I, I, I can't do this anymore. It's not working. 
So let's not sign up any people anymore for a while while I figure this out. Unfortunately or fortunately, this church that I was in is a great church, uh, preaching the gospel every week. People come into Jesus. They hadn't changed what was in the bulletin, so people were still signing up, like, I want to be in the discipleship class. And so the intern was getting some really irate people coming up to him after church. And I love non-Christians or people who haven't grown up in church because they don't know how to act nice like Christians are supposed to act nice. And so they'll be saying things like, the customer service here sucks. I mean, you told me you'd call me two weeks ago. Nobody's even called me to tell me about the class. What's up with that? And he, he got really intimidated, I think, and got a bit frustrated that I wasn't giving direction. So what he did is he got a big sign-up sheet and signed up everybody who, had, who, who was interested in the class at that point. And then he told them, the pastor will meet you tomorrow after church. So after work, just show up and the pastor will be there. I'll make sure he's there. And then he came up to me after church and he said, these people demand to see you tomorrow at 5.30. So it was, it was basically a setup. And uh, I showed up uh, Monday. I was completely, I was just not in the mood for it. I wasn't feeling ready. I was feeling set up. I was feeling intim- uh, manipulated. And so I had, a, I had the wrong attitude, I must confess. And it's amazing how God uses us despite all our flaws. Because I walked into that meeting just not wanting to be there. And I say to the people, you know, I just don't believe what we do is working anymore. I don't have it in me to take you through the class we've been doing. Uh, I feel there must be something else, and I would like to experiment and get a few guinea pigs that would help me experiment with some theories I have. And I said, I don't think it's for everybody. I don't think everybody here this, this will, will be able to do this because it's going to be tough. I said, number one, you're going to have to pay money because I don't believe that, you know, uh, if the, the, the church has the budget for this experiment. But number two, I think if you don't pay for it, you won't value it. And then I said, number two, you need to actually pay, uh, you need to actually give time. Because if you come to the parking lot and read an, an hour before, just park in and, and read an hour before like people do in class, uh, just to, pre- to pretend that you really meditated on this, it's not going to work. Uh, because I'm going to put time into it, so you need to put time into it. And lastly, I said, you need to put emotional energy into the class and share and be vulnerable. Because I don't believe uh, transformation happens when we put on masks. And I'm not going to put on a mask, I'll be honest, so you need to be honest as well. And so I said, listen, sign up if you're interested in this. Only, only those who are interested. After, if, you, if you came to this class and had the free snacks, that's okay. Uh, But you know, only those who would dare do this should apply. And I fully expected maybe five people, and I was hoping no people would sign up. (laughs) To my surprise, (laughs) not only did the 20 people who were in the class sign up, but they signed up 10 other friends. I had 30 names of people who 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 signed up or were signed up, and it was people saying, my friend, who's not even a believer, this is what they need. And I, I learned the first lesson about discipleship at that point. Because I learned, you know, our approach to discipleship before that had been, this is going to be really easy. We'll make it so easy for you. Don't worry. It's not going to cost you a thing. But I realized people weren't looking for something that has no cost. They're looking for something that will change their lives. And if they sense it will change their lives, they're willing to pay whatever cost to get that thing. I also realized that, you know, when people don't pay for something, they don't value something. And that was a huge discipleship lesson. So anyway, we jumped into this experience. I had no idea how long it was going to take, but every week I'd photocopy uh, some things, and, and basically I'd just be praying about God. What would I? What, what, what would you want people to learn? And I'd, I'd write this thing out. I'd give it to them. Uh, five weeks uh, every day, there would be a reading for them and some things they need to do. And then I'd give it out to them uh, the next week, and they would study it, and then show up in class. And when they showed up, it would be like, "Close your books. Now we're going to do what we learned." And I saw more transformation in those few weeks than I'd seen all my years in ministry. Uh, I had, I mean, I remember the first week, a young girl uh, 
immaculately dressed. She's, she, she, she works for a leading bank, and uh, she still does. And, and she comes into class, and she's just one of these very neat people, a neat freak. Uh, and she keeps going out, sneaking out of the class. The first couple of classes, she's just going in and out. And I realize she's a chain smoker. Uh, because I used to smoke, so I know that what she's doing. She's going to smoke, but she'd always pick her phone and pretend she's picking up a call, or she's going to the bathroom, or something. And at some point, I was just frustrated, so I said to her, listen, you don't have to, because she'd, she'd go all the way out to the, to the, to the road, and then miss 10 minutes uh, smoking before she'd come back. I said, listen, you're, waste, you're, you're losing a lot of the class. Why don't you just go and smoke outside in the parking lot, and then come back to class? Uh, and she looked at me in shock, and she said, you can do that in church? I said, I said, just don't poison the rest of us. Go and smoke in the parking lot. Come back and don't miss out with the rest of the class. And everybody laughed, and she laughed, and she went out. She comes back the next week, and she says, Pastor, you wouldn't believe what happened. I said, what happened? She says, ever since you made fun of me and everybody laughed at me, the desire to smoke went away. <laughs> and I'm in shock. I'm thinking, that doesn't make sense. What happened? But come to figure out later that for the first time in her life, this woman had carried a shameful secret. Nobody knew about her smoking habit. And she was sure that when people found out what was deep inside, they would scorn her and look down on her. But for the first time in her life, she had experienced grace. People just laughed and they moved on and they carried on like there was nothing wrong. I mean, they just accepted her as she was. And that enough was, it, was what God used to heal her. I began to understand the power of grace. We sing about amazing grace. That was amazing grace. Next week, we're talking about prayer, and we're having the prayer experience, and people show up, and I say, hey, you learned about it, that God speaks to us, and we learned how to listen to God. So what we're going to do today, shut your books, here's a, here's a, a photocopy from scripture, uh, go read this, find a quiet place, listen to what God says, take a few hours, then we're going to come back, and every one of us is going to share with the class what God said. And you can see some people look at you like, huh? And so they do it. And they come back, and we're standing in a circle, and we start sharing what God said. And a couple of people sharing, and I see a young lady, and she's beginning to tear, and I can see she's very uncomfortable. So I stop the person sharing and say, what's going on? And she says, you know, when I came into this place, I must be honest, I didn't believe in God. I, didn't be, I don't believe in God. I, don't believe, I didn't believe anything here works. I came because my friend made me. And when you asked us to sit and listen to God, I thought, this is cuckoo. This isn't going to work. But she said, when I sat down, the first thing I said is, God, if you exist... How come you've never spoken about this issue in my family? And there was an issue of brokenness that she had struggled with for many years. And she said, if you really existed, you would talk about this. And she said, what that young lady just spoke about, that's exactly what I asked God to speak about. And you could have, seen, you could have felt the goosebumps on everybody's hands. It's like, all of a sudden, God is here. The next week, we're talking about sharing our faith. Or a couple of weeks later, we're talking about sharing your faith. And I get the people in the class to share their faith story with each other. And it's like, share your faith story and then ask the person if you can pray for them. And they might actually, uh, and if, if somebody asks to share, uh, if they'd like to know Jesus, here's a prayer you could lead them with. And so they're all sharing their faith story. And one guy shares with his partner, uh, here's my faith story, and then says, how can I pray for you? And she says, I'd like to receive Jesus. He says, great answer. It's your turn now to share. And she says, no, you don't understand. I really do want to receive Jesus right now. And so he leads somebody for the first time in his life. He'd been a believer for years never led anybody to Jesus. He led somebody to Jesus. He was so excited about jumping up and down. And then afterwards, uh, we, we, I say to them, okay, now you've learned to do it. That was practice. This weekend, we'll go out in twos and we'll share our, our faith story with people in the college, in the university near us. And I said, if you don't have faith yet, share your doubt story. 
So tell people why you don't believe, but also tell them what you're learning. And so people signed up, people came, I didn't think anybody would show up, they all showed up, and they went to the university. One girl comes up afterwards, we're, do, we're doing a debrief, she comes running and she says, Pastor, I don't understand this. I said, tell me what happened. She said, if you share your doubt story with somebody, because I don't have faith, I share my doubt story. If you share your doubt story with somebody, and they ask to receive Jesus, and you pray and lead them to receive Jesus, does it take <laughs> and I, and I, I said to her, tell me what happened. She says, I sat down with this girl. She looked really depressed, a university student. I shared with her my doubt story. I shared with her what we're learning. And I asked her if I could pray for her, what I could pray for her. And she said, pray for me. I'd like to receive this Jesus. And she said, I'm gl- luckily I had the prayer you gave us. So I led her through the prayer. And then I told her to come to church on Sunday. Does it take? And I said to her, of course it takes. She didn't pray to you. She prayed to God in heaven. And she is saved. Well, the most exciting thing about that story is this young lady, she was really a cynic before that. But she actually today is one of our most passionate rooted facilitators, has facilitated for years and has brought many people to Jesus as a result of what God did for in that class. So anyway, every week we were having incredible adventures, incredible stories. And after about 10 weeks, I just felt God say, okay, this is not about information, it's about transformation. These people now have the transformation and they need to take it to others. So stop. And so I stopped and I said, let's have a celebration. And we had our first baptism. We were a new church. We had just begun the church then. So this was our first baptism. It's a big swimming pool in the club we were renting as a church. And uh, 30 new people, uh, getting, many of them getting baptized. The new church is all around them. The fun thing about non-Christians, they don't know how to act in sacred spaces. And so the first person I baptize, they come out yelling, woohoo! And then they turn around and they dunk me. Uh, <laughs> and I'm splattering. And everybody's laughing. And, uh, and it becomes a fun fest and everybody's splashing each other. And it just becomes a joyful celebration of new life. And after that whole mess, I mean, it was just a great day, uh, I get a list, and it's got over 20 names on it, and it's the names of the girlfriends and the brothers and the sisters of the people in the class who had seen the change in their lives and said, we want what they have. You know, that story, for me, just led me into a journey of searching and questioning And I began to ask, is it possible that the Christian faith was meant to be this exciting journey? This thing that when people see, they say, I want what you have. This thing that people can't get enough of. Is it possible that Christianity was not meant to be this spiritual thing? It was meant to be this this life change that is so dramatic that your whole family wants it because they see it in you. And I began to look into the scripture and to my surprise, that's exactly what I found. I looked at the life of Jesus, and I realized Jesus was a celebrity. Jesus was a superstar. And today I want to read something that really struck me, and I'm going to read a passage of scripture, Mark chapter 6, verse 30 to 44, because I really believe Jesus expects that not just to be true of him, but of all his followers, and he actually challenges them that that should be their lifestyle. And as you're turning there in your Bibles, let me give you a little context for that scripture we're about to read. Because you see, in the book of Mark, Jesus was a sensation wherever he went. I mean, people wanted what he had. Spiritual people, non-spiritual people, people just could not stay away from him. And it starts all the way in chapter 1, verse 28. It tells us, news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. So, I mean, this was before Instagram. This was before Twitter. But somehow, when Jesus entered a region, it was viral. 
everybody knew that he was there and they wanted what he had. Chapter 1, verse, 40, verse 37 tells us he couldn't even have a quiet time in the word because his disciples would come knocking and saying, everyone is looking for you. So he couldn't even get away from people. Chapter 1, verse 45 tells us Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he stayed outside in lonely places. I mean, the reason is because he knew there'd be gridlock. If he went into a town, I mean, everything would just lock down. So he decides he's going to stay in lonely places. But guess what happens? It says, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. The gridlock follows him wherever he goes. I mean, he couldn't hide from it. Chapter 3, verse 9 tells us, because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. I love that. I mean, he's preaching, he's by the lake, and he realizes they're going to swamp me. These people are going to kill me. And he says to his disciples, get a boat. We need a plan B, an escape route out of here. Because people want what he has. They will do whatever it takes to touch him. Chapter 3, verse 20 tells us he enters a house, but a crowd gathered, so he and his disciples were not even able to eat. I mean, this was even endangering their lives. And the interesting thing is, at this point, Jesus begins to send out his disciples to do the great things he was doing. And that's the context for this passage. Uh, this is, Mark has painted this context of a sensation that's happening in Judea and in Galilee. And then we read this. And it's Mark chapter 6, verse 30 to 44. It says this, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. They had gone out and done what Jesus does. And then because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a, a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So Jesus has this idea. He says, listen, you guys, this is going to kill us. We need to get away. What we need is a vacation. And the disciples are like, yes, that's what we need right now. And it's like, I know a quiet place. It's out in the wilderness. It's a, we, we go by boat so nobody can get there. It's just us. And the guys are like, let's do this. And so they do it. And it says, so they went away by themselves by boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So so you got the picture. Jesus and his disciples are like, oh, smell the air. This is so good. And the boat is docking. And all of a sudden, all the people they left behind is like, whoa, surprise. (laughs) It's like, we're so happy you needed a vacation. So did we. (laughs) So we're here. Let's do this. And I mean, you can imagine, I, I, I kind of think, I, I try to imagine what was going on through Jesus' mind, or the disciples' minds at that point is like, I can't believe this. But here's what Jesus does. I mean, amazing. He says, when, it says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. He forgot his own need, and he could see the need of these people. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. This is the most significant thing for me in this passage, this this verse that I'm about to read because of what Jesus said to his disciples. It's the opposite of what they expected him to say. But he answered, you give them something to eat. It's like, Jesus, help the people. Send them away. Save their lives. No, 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 no. You give them something to eat. They say to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up into heaven, 
He gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all, and they ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish, and the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. I want to just pray for a minute before I dig into God's word. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the privilege that we can read words, eternal words. These words were written thousands of years ago, but they're not just great literature. When your spirit breathes into them, they become the living word of God. And so we invite you now to breathe into these words and allow them to animate us and transform us and to make us what you want us to be. Lord, I recognize that there's an enemy who distracts us and keeps us from understanding your word and from living out your word. And so right now, Lord, by the authority you've given me as your son, I come against every power of the enemy in this place that would keep your people from apprehending your word. And I bind it and I cast it directly to Jesus to do it as he, as he chooses. And I pray, Lord, that there would be no distractions, but only the Holy Spirit speaking. I pray that, Lord, I would decrease and you would increase and glory would come to you 100%. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. God's people say it. Amen. Amen. Now, the people in the first century, they had something in common with every single human being since the time of Adam. They were hungry, and they were hungry for something on the inside. They instinctively recognized that it was more than the do's and the don'ts of religion that they wanted. It was more than the endless rituals of the Pharisees. That was not doing it for them. They were looking for something and they were made for something that would give their lives meaning and purpose. And when they encountered Jesus, instinctively they knew, this is it. This is what I've been missing. This is what I've been looking for. You know, it was very interesting because when they met Jesus, they were willing to drop everything. I mean, these people dropped their jobs, their society obligations, their family, they dropped everything and they ran to spend time with Jesus. Life around Jesus was exciting. It could only be described as unpredictable, exciting, irresistible. Not the first words that people in our culture today think of when they think about the followers of Jesus today. Maybe it's different in your culture. But in my culture where I come from, the words that people outside the church were used to describe the people inside the church are not the words unpredictable, exciting, irresistible. It's words more like judgmental, hypocritical, irrelevant. You know, as we began Mavuno Church 12 years ago, I prayed, and I prayed with the team that I was with, that God would, would give us the grace to start a church that was so much like Jesus, so exciting, so, so useful to the society, that if the city tried to close us down, if, if, if the government tried to shut us down, that the Muslims in the neighborhood, that the people in the slums around us, that they would protest and picket, and they would say, you can't shut those people down. We need them in our neighborhood. You see, we determined at that point that we wouldn't disciple people to be useful church members. That we wanted to disciple people to influence their society, to be useful 
to their society. Because you see, for Jesus, there was no dichotomy between word and deed, between evangelism and social gospel, between spiritual and secular. For him, it was all one and the same. And for him, the message and the demonstration of the message, they were one thing. It's like he was saying, I've taught you that God loves you. Now let me show you God's love. And for him, the miracle was just a demonstration of the message. Each was impossible without the other. And let me put it this way. We will never become attractive to the community around us if all we do is sit in our church and preach good sermons on Sunday. We won't. We will never become the kind of church that people want to come to, that people find irresistible, if all we do is have nice, safe Christian lives. We will never become the kind of church where people break the roof to get in. Now, you know, some of us have been Christians for a long time, so it's very easy for us to read the scripture without a sanctified imagination. It's like these stories are just normal. We don't see the, the, the awe in it. But just imagine Pastor Glenn here preaching his heart out one day, and all of a sudden there's an interruption. There's a sound, in the, a thumping sound in the roof. It's like, and you're wondering, what's going on? And soon enough, you start to see things falling down, and then the roof is lifted off. And the neighbors start rappelling in. All the drug addicts in the neighborhood, because they want what's going on in the church. I mean, that's what happened every day in Jesus' ministry, isn't it? The Bible tells us this is what was going on around Jesus. But we'll never become those kinds of people unless we live out this message that God has given us. You see, we are God's plan A to meet the needs of the hurting world around us. And the words that Jesus has for us 2,000 years later, the same words he gave his disciples that day, he said to them, you give them something to eat. Oh God, help the people in Pomona, help all those poor people. (laughs) You give them something to eat. That's his word to us these many years later. Now, this could be intimidating for some of us and overwhelming. And like the disciples, we might be tempted to think, this would take years of my salary (laughs) to feed people. How do we do this, Lord? But I love the fact that Jesus never asks them to give something he hasn't already given them. Don't you see that in scripture? That he says, what do you have already in your hands? And these guys go around, and there's a crowd of over 5,000 people, and the funny thing is, all those 5,000 people, not a single one decided to bring lunch, a pack lunch, for heaven's sake. I mean, they're so excited to see Jesus, they come on, they come on vacation with him with nothing in their hands. Except one little boy, uh, another, scripture, another version tells us, who has five loaves and two fish, his, his mom packed him a lunch, praise God for moms, uh, she packed him a lunch, and, 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 here he, and, and Jesus says, give me that, give me that, I'll make it enough. And Jesus takes what they have in their hands. And the Bible tells us it's not just enough. There are 12 basketfuls left over. I mean, isn't this the way Jesus works? Isn't this the way God works throughout the whole of Scripture? That he always asks, what do you have in your hands? Give it to me. That's all I need. And I will make it enough. I mean, we read about Moses, a shepherd. With all he had in his hands was what shepherds have. It's a stick. And that's all that God needed to confront the mightiest empire that had ever existed. With God's Holy Spirit, it was enough. Or a more ridiculous story, Samson. I mean, he didn't even have a stick. He had the jawbone of a dead donkey. I mean, that's as ridiculous. Sometimes I think the writers of Scripture are just laughing as they wrote this story. It's like a dead donkey's bone. And that's all he had. Facing an army of a thousand men intent to kill him. 
But with God's Holy Spirit, it was enough. Or think about Gideon. This man facing an army that was so mighty that the Bible says they were like locusts in the field. And God picks out the man he wants to fight. And this is a most ridiculous story because Gideon has a whole army of people he's collected. And the, the smart ones, the, the ones who are like soldier material, they kneel when they're drinking. And they're looking around to see if enemies are coming. And then there's 300 who just do not belong in a, on a battlefield. Because the first thing they do is they lie on their stomachs and they're drinking like this. No soldier does that. And God says, those are the 300 I need. And with the 300, it is enough. And Gideon wins the battle. Or think about David. A young 15-year-old facing a giant, sophisticated weaponry, a, a huge giant of a man. Every soldier, trained soldiers are quaking in their boots because of this man. And David comes and he has five smooth stones, very plentiful in Palestine at that time. Uh, five smooth stones, that's all he has. But with the Holy Spirit, it is enough. It is enough. And God is asking somebody here today, what is it that you have in your hands? What is it that you've been holding back and saying, I, 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 I only have this, Lord. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm not qualified. God says, give me what you have, and I will make it enough. You know, it's very interesting for me as I read this story, because for me, this is what my story is. <laughs> Twelve years ago, we set out with an agenda that we would disciple people. And we would take them through a process. And we would help them become influencers of society. The, Bible, the, 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 the mission statement God gave us is turning ordinary people into fearless influencers of society. And that we would take these people through an experience called Mizizi. And they would become life groups. And would challenge those people in their life groups to discover what purpose God created them for as they serve community together. And that with what they had in their hands, God would make it enough. And as we've walked through this journey of faith, God has done some remarkable things in our city. And I'd love to tell you some stories as I conclude. Is that okay? Do you like stories? Because you know Africans like stories. So I'm going to tell you a couple of stories to conclude. So I'll tell you a story about Daisy. Daisy was a housewife. She was a homemaker. Some precious, three little, I think two little precious children. Bringing them up. Her husband had a great, a good government job. She didn't need to work. She felt as a Christian that this is what her, mission, her ministry was, and she didn't need to do anything else, went through the rooted experience, God began to speak to her, and we challenged her, what's your purpose? She began to ask God, show me what it is. God gave her holy dissatisfaction, and she began to pray that God would show her what it is that he wanted her to do. The same day, three people asked her for a loan, uh, because they ran out of money, and the first person was her husband's driver, asked her, please, uh, I've run out of money, could you help me have some money to tide over to the end of the month? Uh, the person who cleaned the apartment was the second person to do it. And then lastly, the person who guarded them at the gate, the, 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 the person who opened the gate at the complex they lived in, asked her for a loan. And Daisy began to think, maybe there's a pattern here. Maybe God wants me to do something about this. So she called each of the three people and said, please, if you'd come next week and come with a friend, and we can start to talk about how to save and how to invest. And once we save a certain amount of money, I'm happy to get some money and lend it to you. And together, we can help each of you start a business. And she's expecting six people to show up the next week in her apartment. She's got all the cookies and everything ready. Fifteen show up. This is what happens when you have solutions for the community. People want what you have. And she's got 15 people and she's, wondering, she's crumbling to find the seats and to fit them into her, her living room. 
And they get them ready, and there's a friend from church who's helping her do that. And they, they get the ladies ready, and she begins to, to, to teach them. And she just teaches them what she knows. And so they start to save. And after a few months of saving a certain amount every day, uh, she gets some money. Her poor husband is recruited into this because their family budget is, is redirected. And they lend these people the money. But God gives her the idea, instead of lending money, why don't you lend them products? And so Daisy is out there in the area they live in. She's doing her research. She finds four businesses that are doing really well in those areas. And she does little business plans. With the knowledge she has, she just does little business plans. This is how, you, this is how you'd sell it. This is what you'd do. And then she comes up to them with a business plan, says, pick one of these businesses. They each pick one. And then she buys the product wholesale and gives it to them. And each of them goes out and they sell it out in a, in a very short time. And they replenish it, and she gives them more money, and they do it. Pretty soon, this group has become so successful that another group is born from it, and another one is born from it. And here's the most amazing thing. Fast forward to today, over 100,000 families in our nation have received loans from this group. It's called Maono. It's become a huge organization. Uh, People from across the world, from leading microfinance organizations across the world, have come to study this model. It became a model. Uh, But all we know for us is that there was one homemaker who said to God, this is all I have in my hands. Would you make it enough? What do you have in your hands? I could tell you many stories of people in our church who've just said to God, here is all I have, and God has made it enough. There's a scripture that I want to end with, Romans chapter 8, verse 19. And this is one of my favorite scriptures in in the Bible. And it says, the creation groans in eager expectation for the sons and the daughters of God to be revealed. Think about it. Pomona groans in eager expectation. He doesn't even know what it's groaning for. But here's what your city is groaning for. For the real sons and daughters of God to stand up and to be revealed. And perhaps, perhaps those sons and daughters of God who Pomona is groaning for are right here. The sons and daughters of God that the world is groaning for are right here. And today God is saying, listen, stop letting your fear hold you back. Give me what you have in your hands and I will make it enough. I want to pray for us as we conclude. Is that okay? Father, I thank you for the people of Purpose Church, Pomona. And I thank you because you have a great purpose in each of their lives. That none of them was built for a mediocre life. Every one of them was built for intent and purpose. And that, Lord, there are people here that you've been speaking to already. This word is just a confirmation. I sense that there are some couples that you've already been speaking to in this place. And that, Lord, they've been afraid to step out. And you're saying it's time to overcome your fear. And to just give me what I've put in your hands and I will make it enough. I sense there's been somebody here who's been held back by fear. And they've said, I'm, I'm too old for God to use. I'm too young. I'm not qualified. I don't have what it takes. And God is saying, all I need is what is in your hands. And I will make it enough. And I'd like to pray for you. If this is you, if you're here, and God has been speaking to you, even in this message, I'm going to ask you to do a bold thing. To just stand up to your feet as an act, as a gesture of surrender. You're going to stand up to your feet and you're saying, God, here I am. With everything I have in my hands. You take it and make it enough. Just stand up wherever you are. I don't know if this is something you do in your church, but we do this back home. And I'm going to ask you to allow me to do it here as well. Praise God for all who are standing. Let's appreciate those who are standing up, who are bold enough to stand this morning. Praise God. Bless God for you.
please stretch out your hands and surrender before God and just begin to speak to your father. Say, God, I will follow you. I will obey you. I will take that step you're asking me to take. Lord, receive the prayers of your children as they come up to you. Some people who are praying right now are really scared because they're responding to something they've been afraid of responding to for a while. Something that could change everything in their lives. But I thank you because you are here. And I thank you because you are powerful enough that you can take these things that you've already given us and create something beautiful from them. And I'm praying for every, from every surrender that is in this congregation today, you would take it and you'd create something beautiful, something powerful. And that you would change lives because of those who are standing in this house today. And so we bless you, Lord. We come to you in surrender and in thanksgiving because you are here and you will do it. And Lord, I look forward to visiting this church in time to come and hearing stories from people who are standing today, who are in this place today, saying, God spoke to me. God did this and God made it enough. And so I bless you, God's church, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and God's people say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you.